Right. Well, happy Father's Day to all the men in the room. I know we've been applauding you guys, but we do like to celebrate because we believe that is one of the most vital roles, not only in the family, but in our, in our entire civilization. We feel like the role of the father is so important. And uh, too often it gets beat down. I know in uh, many of the sitcoms, the dad is the dumbest one in the whole show. He's the uh, buffoon that everybody makes fun of. But in reality, the dad should be the one that is leading his family, investing in his family, teaching his family, and training his family in the things of God. And uh, so uh, I understand why culture, and I understand why, you know, the media and so many would try to destroy that role because uh, it is part of God's plan. And so if you're a father here today, man, we want to we wanna just encourage you, and uh, we want to challenge you today as well. well. We had a great trip. We just took a group of guys to... Uh, to Gridiron this weekend, we took about 24 men up there, and uh, we had an opportunity to hear from some great speakers and great teachers, incredible worship, and, uh, and a lot of the challenge was on the role of the father, you know, the role of the dad, you know, and just living out our faith in such a way that we, we impact and we influence our kids, and uh, so it was awesome to be a part of that, and if you guys didn't get a chance to go this year, we're going to go again next year, I think it's going to be in, um, up in uh, Huntsville next year. Uh, this year we uh, got to do top golf. We got to have uh, got to have some fun. It was great fellowship, uh, great fun, but it was a great challenge for the men as well. And it's always good to kind of get to know new guys and find out you know where they are in their walk with the Lord. But today uh, we're going to be looking at uh, some instructions. And again, I know it kind of sounds funny. We're t- talking about Father's Day, and here we're talking about instructions included, and those don't always go together real well. Dads or men often think we don't need instructions, but we do. And uh, one of the places we need it more than anywhere is probably in relationships. And, and really the Ten Commandments that we're kind of digging in and kind of going through, you know, they're, they're really dealing with four. Uh, the first four deal with our relationship with God, and the rest of them deal with the relationships of the people around us. And they're kind of a divine standard that God has given us and kind of gives us direction, and it kind of illuminates some things in our lives. And so if you've got your outlines, you can kind of follow along. But it says that all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we want you guys to understand, we believe that the Word of God, and that's, that's from cover to cover, you know, is, is important. And it's God-breathed. We believe it's, uh, you know, that there's no error there in the original uh, translations. We understand there could be some translations where someone has kind of put their opinions in there. But in the original, it is, it is without error. But the thing is, it is the Word of God. And it is the instructions that God has given us. It's kind of like a, a playbook or if you would, a, you know, it's a map for life. And so we want you guys to understand that when we look at God's word, we believe that this is where we get our direction from and our guidance from. Look at what it says here in Psalms 19, 7. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. And the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You know, for all of us in this room, man, we want to be wise. One of the things that tells us in Scripture, if you lack wisdom, ask for it and God will give it to you. You know, God's not going to hold back on wisdom. He wants to teach us. And one of the ways that He teaches us is through His Word. One of the most clear and simple ways that He teaches us is through His Word. It reveals and it teaches and equips us. And it, like I said up here in the first and second Timothy, it rebukes us. And so it addresses things. So when we're looking at the, uh, the law here, we're looking back at the Mosaic Law. Moses, we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks. You know, he has gone up on Mount Sinai. God has given him this law, these Ten Commandments. He comes down to the people, you know, and he and he 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 runs into issues right off the bat. We're going to see and talk about that today. They, but they've already created an idol among them, and uh, and so there's a scene in, in the in the scriptures there where they created this golden calf, and and Moses has to deal with that right off the mountain. And then before he's allowing them to, or he's leading them, he's handing them off, if you will, 
And uh, Joshua is going to be taking them into the promised land, but he reminds them, hey, listen, remember you know, God's word. Remember these, these, these statutes. Remember these precepts that he has given you. And he's telling them, hey, listen, live these things out as you're going into this land that God has given you. But let's look at a couple things here. It says, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. In other words, when we look at the law, we look at the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic law, we look back, it does a couple of things. And this is out of Romans three nineteen through 20. It says, well, now we know that, that uh, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And so what Paul is saying in Romans is, hey, listen, we're not going to get to heaven by keeping every letter of the law. We're not going to, you know, what the law does, it reveals to us what sin is. We know, all right, this is right, this is wrong. God blesses this, God curses this. And so we know by looking at the law what sin is. So it reveals to us, and so many of us can look at just the Ten Commandments and we can go, all right, I have committed this sin. I have coveted, you know, my neighbor's wife. I have coveted my neighbor's house. I have coveted some. And so you go, you know what? I have sinned. Thou shalt, you know, not tell a lie. Thou shalt not bear a false witness. Whatever. And you go, all right, I have lied. So therefore I have sinned. So therefore I am a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. And so the law reveals to us the condition of our heart, reveals the fact that we are sinners. There's some people who say, well, I hadn't done it, you know, anything really bad. And, and what we do is we say, well, I, you know, I hadn't killed anybody, I hadn't raped anybody, I hadn't, hadn't robbed a bank. But, the, the, you know, Jesus kind of raised the whole bar. He said, I mean, if you hate someone, you've committed murder. If you look at a woman and, and you just lust after her, you committed adultery. And so Jesus kind of raised the bar. A lot of times people think, well, Jesus did away with all of the law. No, no, he fulfilled the law. And by coming, he fulfilled all the prophecies, every one of them. You're talking about a miracle, just the fact that Jesus fulfilled every prophecy was a miracle and so whenever we look back that jesus says i have not come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law and here's the thing and he is gonna he's literally gonna meet the the qualifications of the law and so in defining sin and setting a divine standard the law indirectly discloses our need for a savior so whenever we look at the law and we realize you know what all right that sin and i have committed sin and it doesn't matter and i think i've t- told the story a thousand times it seems like but I can remember one of the first major sins that I remember doing. And for me, you know, I was quantifying or qualifying it as being a major one. And it was a little booklet that I stole of a Tonka toy in a Western Auto in Jackson, Alabama. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. I can remember sneaking it out of there. I knew that I all had to, you know, I shouldn't probably be doing that. And, but the thing is, is I knew what I was doing. I was probably four or five years old. And I went over to the Super 5 and 10 store where my mom was at. And when I walk up, she goes, what is that? I said, a booklet? And she goes, where did you get it? You know, and it was immediately, I, and I knew. I mean, like when I'm walking up, I'm kind of sheepishly walking up, like looking to see how she's going to respond, because I knew I'd done something wrong. And, and if I'd have asked, the guy would have probably given it to me. But the thing is, I didn't ask, and I was trying to steal it. And, and so for me, that was the first major sin. Now, here's the thing. I'd probably talk back to my mom. I'd probably dishonor my dad. You know, before that, even at that age... But the thing is, I knew that that was sin. As a four or five year old, I knew it was wrong and I knew it was sin. And so the thing is, is this divine standard allows us to know what is wrong and what is sin. So when we look into the scriptures and we look into the Old Testament, we don't say, well, we don't need the Old Testament anymore because we got Jesus. Well, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And we need all of God's word. And if you look back up there at that same passage, this is what it says. All scripture is God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be 
thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me just say this. You know, the, the writer there, I mean, the writer there is Paul writing that to Timothy. Or, and here's Timothy. So here's what I'm saying. What he's saying is all scripture. You know what scripture he had? He had the Old Testament. He had the Old Testament. We read that and we go, well, all right, the New Testament. No, it's all of the Bible is God breathed. And so when we look back and we see where Timothy is saying this, hey, listen, it's important for us to understand that, you know what? All of God's word is important. And so don't, li- don't buy into the mentality. We don't need this because we've got this. No, we need all of this. And we need to live according to it. And here's the thing. Find out what the fulfillment of the Old Testament is. Find out what it means that they prophesied about Christ. And here's the thing. It just gives you more and more confidence and more and more your faith will grow as you realize, you know what? Just the fact that Jesus fulfilled every one of those prophecies causes me to grow in my faith, causes me to know, you know what? This is truth. And look at what it says about righteousness through faith. So we don't become righteous because we follow every letter of the law. But look at what it says here in Romans three twenty one, dropping on down. It says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. So in other words, we know what God's righteousness desires. It says, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And so we we hear that and we realize, you know what? Righteousness is through faith. It's not by following every letter of the law. It's not by me being better. It's not by me being good enough. It's not by me, me not doing certain things and doing other things, but it's by putting my faith in what Christ has done. And Christ is the righteousness. And this is what I love. You know, is whenever we read that and we go, you know what, man, I have put my faith in Christ. And so by faith we are saved. You know, it, it's by faith we are saved. That is it. It's not by work so anybody can boast about it or brag about it. And so when I breathe my last and I stand before God, he's not going to look at me and say, Mike, you did some pretty good things. It's not what he's going to do. He's going to look at me and he's going to ask me, what did you do with my son? What did you do with the gift of Righteousness. And if I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, here's what I love about it. God doesn't look at me, but he says, I see the righteousness of Christ applied to your life. I see the blood of Christ poured over your sins. I see that you have been atoned for. Welcome in, my good and faithful servant. It's not based on what I do. It's, on, it's based on whose I am. And, you know, I belong to Christ. And so for you, I, I pray that, men, that you understand that it's not about keeping every letter of the law it is about surrendering to who Christ is, who has fulfilled the law. And so let's drop down. Let's talk about the second, you know, command here. Last week we talked about that there should be no other God uh, but, but God. But here today it says you must not make for yourself an idol. And so looking in the Exodus here, it says you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, Am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, now, why would God put that last part in there about, you know, going on for generations, you know, for those who hate me? Because what God is saying, listen, if you don't love me and if you don't put me first, you might as well say that you hate me. You might, you might as well say that you hate me. And I know some of us can go, well, you know, I, I love God, but do you love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, all of your mind? <laughs> and that's what Jesus says that, you know, we're supposed to do in the New Testament. That's what Moses said we're supposed to do in the Old Testament. We're supposed to love him with everything that's in us. 
It says, so again, it says, you shall make for yourself no image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And, and so, a couple of things here. The first commandment we dealt with last week, last week deals with the who of worship. There's one God. So last week we dealt with the, the who of worship. And, and so today, uh, you know, it, it, there's a statement here that says, there's only one God. And, and what they were dealing with was there were pagan gods that they had in their culture. So we were talking about the who of, of worship last week. Today we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, some of the details of that. But there's only one God. And I wanted to kind of show you some, uh, some idols, some of what the, the people dealt with in the day. So there, there's going to be some old idols and there's going to be some modern idols. And just see if you can't kind of connect these two together. Because understand, back in the day what they would do... What they would often do is they would create an image. And they would create an image. So here's one. And so like you see this image here to the left. You know, it's got a bird's head on it, a human's body. And that's an Egyptian god. Now, you know, that's, that's what they would worship. They would worship this Egyptian god. Now, now, I don't know if you notice this over here, but there's a graven image over here to the right. And we have people that worship a $100 bill. You know, and, and we have people that worship cash and worship money and and it's a, it becomes a modern idol in our culture. Now, in the day, they probably had gold or maybe they had coins. You know, but the thing is, they worship these graven images, but we also worship these. And so here's another one. Throw another one up there. All right, so the golden calf. Most of us think of, the, if you ever watched the, uh, the Ten Commandments growing up, you remember the golden calf. And they formed it and shaped it out of the gold that they collected together. And here's the thing. Who, does anybody remember who made the golden calf? It was Aaron. It, it was his brother. Moses' brother's down there forming this idol, and, and so it's addressed. And oftentimes what we, we worship is education. You know, maybe it's a degree, or maybe it's a piece of paper on our wall. We, we frame it, we hang it on the wall, we want everybody to see how smart we are, what we've accomplished, and all those things. And you might say, well, Mike, I worked hard for those things, and I get that. But there are times that it becomes an idol in our culture. So go to the next one. All right, so here's another one. You see this, this over here, most of us say, well, that's an idol, but food can become an idol in our culture. I mean, we, we joke about this, but people say, you know, man, you know, some people eat to live and some people live to eat, you know, and, and, and so you have to figure out which one you are. But oftentimes we can worship food. There's a whole food network. Some of you guys sit around and watch show after show after show of food. Me talking about it, your mind is already going there now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and, you know, and we gave y'all sausage and we gave y'all root beer this morning. You know, you know, so we understand that food is a big deal. But it can become an idol or a god in your life. You know, there, there's times that our addiction may not be drugs, it's food. And so we have to be careful. So go to the next one. Now, a lot of you guys probably agree with this one, right? Parents always want to get on their kids because they feel like their phone has become a god in their life or an idol in their life. And let me tell you, if I watch parents... It's the same. I mean, you'll see a husband and wife out on a date or sitting in a car and they're both on their phone. They're not talking to each other. They're, they're, and, and you know, I always want to say, are they texting each other? Or, you know, because uh, they're right across the table from one another. And so this has become an idol and we would say that's probably a modern idol. Uh, you know, oftentimes what we do is we think, well, I would never bow down and worship that. But you made that bow down and worship that. And let's go to this next one, last one. So this right here is Thor, in case you guys didn't know. That's Thor. Uh, that's a crazy, because we think of Thor from Marvel movies or whatever. And then over here, you know, so, so what is the idol there? Is it the sport of baseball? Or is it the kid that's swinging the bat or kids playing catcher? And too often, 
these become idols. You might say, well, I, you know, Mike, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bow down and worship that. It looks that way sometimes. And, and, and so too often what we do is we, we forget that there are things that we allow into our lives that do become idols. It can be money. It can be a phone. It can be technology. It can be a car. It can be a house. It can be a boat. It can be land. It can be anything. It can be people. And what God is saying, and, and let me read it again. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. In heaven, above, or on earth, beneath, or the waters below. And you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. See, God looks at it as when we, we literally love this other stuff, we hate him. And so he's saying, hey, listen, you know, that sin will be carried on to your kids. And so moms and dads, and let me just say this, it's important that we teach our children how to worship the one true God. And that we don't teach them how to worship the things of this world, anything, whatever it might be. But we, we teach them to worship the one true God. And he says, man, those, those you know what, that, that sin is going to carry on because we have taught them, we have taught them, we have taught them to worship the wrong things. But he says, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, what, here's what I love about that verse. Is that God says, you know, he'll, he'll let that, that generational sin carry on and on and on. You know, because we, we, we've got to teach them. It's our responsibility to teach them in the home. But he says, man, I'll pass it on to a thousand generations. And I had a guy that they were talking about, you know, maybe we were taught certain things. But we don't have to continue to carry that on. We can be the bondage breaker. We can be the, the one that says, you know, I am no longer going to be in that bondage, you know, that my family or my dad or my grandfather or whoever. You know, I had a guy say the other day, he said, you know, he said, my dad, you know, was a, a two case of beer, you know, alcoholic. You know, my grandfather was a two case of beer alcoholic per day. He said, you know, I don't want to be that guy. And I said, you don't have to. Because, because of what Christ has done, we can stop that chain. And some of you guys may say, well, I'm turning out just like my mom. You don't have to. I'm turning out just like my dad. You don't have to. If any man be in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so we don't have to live the pattern that has been given to us. You might say, well, my dad was an abuser. Well, you don't have to be that. My mom was an abuser. Well, you don't have to be that. My mom was negative. She was always down and out. You know, you don't have to be that. And so the thing is, the power of God at work in you is greater than anything that we'll deal with in this world. Even traditions or what is modeled or, or what has been handed down to us. And so it's important for us to understand that, you know what, we can be a difference maker. And maybe it just takes some person saying, God, use me. God, use me to change my family. God, choose me. God, to, to be the one to begin a, a godly legacy for a thousand generations. Not just carry on the sin that was handed to me. But God, I want, to be, I want to be righteous. I want to be godly. God, I want to worship you in truth and in spirit. And so the second commandment deals with the, the how of worship. You know, how we worship. You know, God, God is saying, hey, listen, you know, I've already told you who I am. This is what I don't want. And then he's addressing some of those things. So the second commandment deals with the how of worship. So God desires true worship. We see that here in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament as well. And so God desires true worship. And so here's an idol is a material thing, and no idol can represent the invisible spiritual God. God is spirit. You know, the, and, and so the thing is, is God is saying, hey, listen, don't create some animal 
I created those animals. I spoke them into existence. I let Adam name them. And he said, hey, listen, don't create something that you can see because I am spirit. And so the thing is, is God says, I am all knowing, I'm all powerful, and I'm all present. And so the thing is, is he is spirit. He is, he is everywhere. He's everywhere. And, and so making an idol is, is, is creating something that's material. You know, something that we, we can look at. And, and we often say, well, that represents God. That, you know, that's, that shows God's faithfulness or whatever. And we have to be careful with those things. But look at what it says in John 4.23. This is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in, in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We go back to Genesis 1. It talks about the spirit of the Lord hovered above the, the waters. And so the spirit of God, there's no way that you can represent his character. There's no way that you can represent who he really is by creating some graven image. You know, I know many, many times we try to come up with what God might look like. And even in our minds, you know, our minds oftentimes will try to create, hey, well, what would God look like? We kind of picture him maybe sitting on a big throne. Maybe his, his face is so, so bright and so glorious that we can't see his face, but it's just like this body. It's there. I've seen pictures like that. You know, we kind of envision what he might look like. You know, we, we paint pictures on, on Sistine chapels of what God might look like. But the Bible is saying, hey, listen, man, I'm spirit. And I'm looking for worshipers that will worship in truth and in spirit. Look at what Martin Luther said here. He says, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is your God. So ask yourself, what, what, what do I cling to? What do I confide in? What do I, what do I hold on the tightest to? And what Martin Luther says is that is your God. I love what Dr. Adrian Rogers says here. He says, anything you love more than God, anything you fear more than God, anything you serve more than God, anything you value more than God is your God. And so whatever you're afraid of or whatever you fear or whatever you, you know, love more than God, that is your God. And, and so I know we often can say the, the spiritual things. We get into the spiritual circles and we might say spiritual things. And we might talk about loving God, but the thing is, is what do you truly love? And we've said it before, the way that you can figure those things out is you look at how you spend your time, how you spend your money. You might say, well, you know, God is spirit. He doesn't need my money. No, but God knows that, you know what, if you, if he doesn't have your heart, your money will have your heart. And he wants, he wants to, you know, nothing wrong with owning money. Money does a lot of great things. Money bought you guys some root beer this morning, some Koneka sausage. You know what? I mean, money can do some good things. Money can send missionaries all over the world. Money can, can end up paying for someone to have a Bible that they've never had before. Money can get people into countries where the gospel is not allowed. And people can share the gospel that becomes literally a seed that is planted that will become an incredible harvest one day. So money is, you know, it's just it's an object. But what happens is too often we end up worshiping money rather than realizing it's just a tool. And so a tool that you, we're used to measure our commitment, and oftentimes where our heart's at. And so here's the thing. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all of your mind, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. And so the statement here says, when you put God first in your life, you don't love your family less, you love them more. And I think sometimes we, we, we think, well, if I love God so much, then, you know, I'm not really loving my family like I should. The thing is, is you convey to your family how much you love them by loving God, because and I was talking to someone last night, just the fruits of the Spirit. When we are Spirit-led and Spirit-filled, 
the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. When we are those things in our, in, our, in our relationship with our family, here's the thing. We're better dads. We're better fathers. We're better husbands. We're better wives. We're better friends. We're better, you know, we're better brothers and sisters. We're better in all those things. We have the fruit of the Spirit showing up in our life. But whenever you look at the fruit of the flesh, man, it's all kinds of garbage. It's slander. It's, it's uh, arguments. It's factions. It's, it's d- divisiveness. And, and we, we say, you know what, God, I, I want the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that is when we say, God, I want you, your Spirit. I want you to live in me. God, I want to be led by your Spirit. I want to be guided by your Spirit. Then the fruits are, the, are, are the, they're going to show up. The fruit of the Spirit is going to be in your life. And so when you put God first in your life, you don't love your family less. You love them more. You'll love them with a deeper love. You know, I often tell marriages, you know, if, if the husband and the wife would literally seek after God... Man, and just chase after God and literally fall in love with who Jesus is. That, here's the thing. They're going to love each other more. They're going to forgive each other more. They're going to serve each other more. And so if this guy is chasing after God and this woman is chasing after God, the more that they grow closer to God, the closer they come together. And, and so as they, as they grow in that relationship, they're going to die to self. They're going to be crucifying the flesh and say, you know what? I want to be led by the Spirit. God, I want you to show me how to love my spouse. Show me how to serve them, how to bless them, how to be there for them. And so when we put God first, we love our family more. And here's the next statement. It says, we need to help our kids have heroes without having idols. You know, sports obviously, you know, is one of the areas where that can become a big deal. And, and so we need to help our kids understand what does it mean, you know, to, to have someone that is a hero. You know, I think about some of our military heroes. And these guys that put their life on the line, they don't always get the recognition they want. But yet... You know, we don't always recognize them and honor them like we should, but we'll sit here and we'll celebrate some guy who was an athlete who was playing a game. We'll pay them millions and millions and millions of dollars, you know, and then whatever they say, we take it as the gospel. And so what we do, and here's, I'm just saying, mom and dad, our job is to teach our children, hey, that's not a, that's not a hero, that's an idol, and an idol God hates. And so we can't, we've got to be willing to say, you know what, hey, there's some guys out there that are living out their faith. And, and I love Tim Tebow. Tim, Tim Tebow is one of those guys that always said, man, when I grow up, I want to be like Tim Tebow. But here's the thing is, I can't make Tim Tebow an idol either. I might say, hey, he's a hero, but he can't be an idol. And, and we've got to be willing to make sure that we teach our children the difference between those two. And dads, I know it's Father's Day, but let me say, it's our responsibility to teach our family and to teach our children. You might say, well, Mike, I don't know those things. I, I'm, I'm learning as I'm sitting here today. There's things that you're saying today that I didn't realize and so I'm just telling you, I don't know how to teach my children. Then take the steps necessary to become that guy that can. We, we're going to talk about it at the end of the service about mentoring. We have a thing called Forge Ministry. And it's where, where men, will t- there will be one man who will begin to invest in other men. And here's the toughest thing for some of the guys in the room to sit there and go, man, I don't want to get in there. I, you know, I may not know anything about the Bible. Well, that's why you get in there, so you can learn things about the Bible. I may not know how to do what they're going to be teaching. Well, that's why you get in there, so you can learn some of the things that we're teaching that are coming out of God's Word. And so it's important for us to say, you know what, I don't know how to do these things, but I'm going to learn. I'm not going to be held back. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to become that man of God, and I'm going to, I'm going to surround myself with some guys that can teach me. Why do we go to Gridiron? Why do we take 24 men up there? Why were, you know, how many 8,000 men sitting in that room? Why were they there? Because they wanted to hear from God. They wanted to, guys that have walked ahead of them to teach them what they have learned. And we walk away from there going, man, that's a great truth. One of, the, one of the coolest ones there was a young man. 
Jake Olson, who was blind, he was the blind long snapper for USC. And he stood there, and this young man, I don't even know how old he is, maybe he's 23, 24 years old. But let me tell you, he had such great maturity. He was teaching men way older than him about not giving up, setting goals, and realizing, you know what, that sometimes our setback is really God setting us up for what he wants to do. He was talking about how he lost his eyes to cancer. He said, but what I consider, you know, to be a setback blindness, he said, is really what God set me up to be able to stand before you people and teach you what God is teaching me. I mean, what a great attitude. And, and so what if, what if we were to teach our children that way? So every man in this room ought to be saying, you know, God, where do I need to be so I can grow and become the man of God you want me to be? To make the difference in my family so that I can be a blessing to a thousand generations and not a curse for three or four. And, th- and this next statement is, is critical. We need to learn how to worship so that we can teach our kids to worship. Dads, let me just just say, one of the places you can learn to do that is right here in this room. This is called corporate worship. And I, and I know sometimes maybe, maybe, you know, it's out of your comfort zone. But the, the, the thing about worship is, is, is literally giving worth to something. And maybe in here, whenever you listen to the lyrics of the songs and you realize what they're saying and you realize you're saying that to the God of the universe, you, you worship Him. And everybody worships different ways. And maybe for you, man, it's quiet worship. Maybe you're one of those guys, you don't have a lot of, you know, a lot of giddy up, you don't, a lot of energy. Maybe you're kind of more subdued. That's fine. But man, are you pouring out your heart before God? Are you worshiping the King, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And do your kids see how you worship? Do they see you lift holy hands to the Lord? Do they see you sing these songs with all the passion that you have back to God? You're not singing them to the people around you. Who cares what you sound like? God, God, he wants your heart. And so do you worship whenever you're gathered in here? That's what this is. This whole service is designed to worship him and to point towards him. It's to honor him. So dads, do you worship him? Do you model it for your kids? You might say, well, that's the one time I do. No, here's the thing. It needs to be throughout the week as we are doing life, as we're going about. We're driving down the road. We see an incredible sunset. We go, man, what an, what an awesome God we serve. You see, you see something that you go, only God could create that. You point your children to that. You worship the one true God. So that's how you teach your children to worship. And here's a not idols, not man-made stuff. But you say, God, you're beautiful. God, thank you for saving me. Do you teach them what the message of the cross is? That's our responsibility. It says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. And they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. And they will, they will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. And they will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. Does that sound like the culture we live in? Absolutely. So dads, why is it so important that we teach our children what is truth? Because there's, there's lies all around us. And, and it's, it's broadcast over the news, over the airwaves. It's broadcast in our homes. It's broadcast into those phones that we worship. And we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to focus on what is truth. God, help me to worship you in truth and in spirit. And then, dads, I would say it's our responsibility to say, God, teach me to be that man of God. Let's move to the next one real quick because I think they, they kind of tie together. And the next one says, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. 
Now, some of you dads might say, why don't you pick that one today on Father's Day? Why are we hitting that today as well? You know, sometimes dads have the worst mouth of all. You know, growing up, my, my dad cussed way worse than my mom did. You know, I mean, he, he said some things that would make your skin crawl. And, and so, so we must not misuse the name of the Lord. But I think we've got to understand there's way more than just profanity involved here. Let's dig, dig into it a little bit and then we'll be done. It says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold, will, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God makes it pretty clear, don't misuse the name. And, and so we've got to understand misusing that is flippantly doing it in a careless way. And we'll kind of unpack that a little bit down here. But listen to this. There's a couple of things I think we do need to hear. There is power in the name of our Lord. There is power in the name of our Lord. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I mean, think about that. You know, you know Goliath is out there, you know, mocking him, cursing his guide. And, and what David says, man, I come against you in the name of the Lord. He said, listen, man, I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And he said, listen, there's power in that name. And we most, most of us in this room, hopefully everybody in this room knows the story that David won that battle. It was a battle like no other. And, and David would have victory and he would literally defeat Goliath. This, this guy that had been a champion from childhood. He had an undefeated record, if you will. But the thing is, there's power in the name of the Lord. When we pray over someone, man, we pray over someone, we ask for healing in the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names. There's power in the name of the Lord. And so we need to get our mind around that. And so we don't want to be flippant or careless with that power. You know, some of you guys that like, like guns or whatever, you know, one of the things we always talk about, man, keep it pointed in a safe direction. There's rules and safety with a, with a weapon that you have to know what you're doing because there's a lot of power in that. And it can bring harm. And so for us, we need to understand there's power in the name of the Lord. We need to be careful how we just use God's word at all. Here's the second one. There is purpose in the name of our Lord. In Matthew 121, it says, and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Just that name means Jehovah saves. And so for us to go, you know what? Just the name of Jesus Christ. There's power in that name. There's purpose in that name. God who saves. God among us. You know, there's so many things in there. And, and we've got to understand that there is purpose in the name of our Lord. You know, we, we think, that, you know, think back to the inscription in Psalms. It says, His name is a strong tower and we run to that tower. See, his, his, his a powerful, powerful statement in it. There's, there's purpose in the name of our Lord. And then the third one there, there's praise in the name of our Lord. Our Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. We praise the name of God. We praise who he is. And, and so the thing is, is we've got to understand about the name of God, that there's power in that name. There's purpose in that name. You know, and it's personal. We go back to Yahweh. It was the most personal name that could be given and used towards God. Many of the Hebrews wouldn't even say that word. And so we've got to understand that, there, that God, he takes his name seriously. We go back to Moses. Moses says, Father, you know, Lord, who should I say is sending me? I am that I am. And we go, man, there's so many names of God. And, it, and they all describe the character of God. And so taking the Lord's name in vain. So let's look at what vain is. Vain is the Hebrew word means meaningless or empty of content, careless or thoughtless. Are we careless or thoughtless with God's word and with God's name? Look at what it says here in Matthew, Jesus speaking. He says, you brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. 
See, the thing is, it's a big, the big deal is it's part of our heart. It's what's in our heart that comes out. And sometimes we're, we're flippant with God's, with God's name. And, we, and we're told here in Scripture that we're to be careful with that. It says, look at this, a profane mouth reveals a profane heart. A profane mouth reveals a profane heart. And so maybe you're one of those, you know, I've met guys through the years, so man, I was in the Navy for however many years. I can't change that. I don't believe that. I believe that God can change anybody. He can clean up your, He can change your heart. He'll change your mouth. He'll change how you talk. And I think most of us, you know, we, we, we think, well, you know, there's certain words that I think are worse cuss words than others. Like nobody wants to, you know, God to damn anybody to hell. Now that one kind of bothers us. We'll go, that kind of bothers me. But there's others that we'll drop left and right. And I would just say that every one of us in the room ought to say, you know what? God, help me not to have to use profanity. And I've always taught my boys, you know, and, and they may use bad language, but here's the thing. They know that, you know what, that I disagree with it. I, I think that using profanity and cussing and cursing is literally low IQ or either small vocabulary. I think we can use our words better than that. And so we have to kind of guard against that. But here's the thing. It shows an empty head and a wicked heart is what profanity does. An empty head and a wicked heart. In other words, you don't know any better words. You can't learn better things. But it shows a wicked heart. And so that, that whenever we begin to use God's word flippantly, we're careless with the God of the universe, his name. And his name was a big deal. Like I said, we just read scripture after scripture all through the through uh, the, the, the Old and New Testament, how important His name is. And, and so what we do is we also have to be careful. How many guys, when someone sneezes, will say, God bless you? You know, that's kind of a, you know, because we say, hey, we're profanity. Hey, Mike, I'm with you on that. But we also use it flippantly. Do you really want God to bless them? Or is you just saying that because somebody just blew snot everywhere? You know what I'm saying? I mean, what is that just a tradition? Is that just what you do? Is that something that you learned? And so the thing is, we can't be flippant with God's name. You know, we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to understand how to honor you, revere you, and teach my children to not take your name carelessly or in vain. You know, we often use other, other terms. We'll, we'll say, gosh, and that, that's just kind of a short or different, kind of cleaned up version of God. You've been around somebody and they'll go, God, and you, boy, it's like, man, it's like, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. And I'm like, dude, I want you to trust something else. And they'll go, gosh, it's pretty much the same thing, right? Or geez. That's just short for Jesus, right? Some of y'all are kind of getting offended because you go, hey, that's what I use. But I'm just saying, the Bible says that we're not to take them, God's name, lightly. But if anything, we're not to misuse it. But we are to speak victory. And I want to end with this. The Lord's name is victory. I mean, like I said, Jesus is the most wonderful name of God. Jehovah saves. Whenever you you speak, when I pray over someone, I'm praying for you, and I I pray in Jesus' name. The, the name above all names, that name, there's no other name like Jesus. And, and I, what I love is all these names that we see throughout Scripture of who God is, it all culminates into this one called Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one. And Jesus is the name above all names. And that we would never, and, and I think it's important to ask that we teach our children Hey, not to take the name of the Lord in vain, carelessly, recklessly, but that there's honor there. And here's the thing. If you love him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, you will be careful how you use that name. These next steps, and I'll, we'll be done. It says, it says, 
number one, I will learn to worship in truth and spirit. There may be some of you in this room who say, you know what, man, Mike, I don't know how to worship in truth and spirit. Then let's learn. In just a minute, we're going to talk about mentoring. Maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to get a form. I'm going to fill it out. I'm going to be a part of that. And look at the next one here. I will teach my children to worship the one true God. The only way that you can teach them is if you learn how to worship. The only way that you can worship in truth and in spirit is to be filled with God's spirit. In, in other words, I'll, I'll never be able to worship God the way that God intends me to worship him apart from Christ living in me. The spirit of God being within me. And so maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. Let me encourage you to realize, number one, that the law reveals your need for a savior and that Jesus wants to be the savior of your soul. He, he wants to satisfy the law. He wants to satisfy every Every need in the letter of the law, he satisfies that. And his righteousness is applied to your life. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ. Maybe you're still trying to be good enough. You think, I, I can't tell you how many times I've shared with people and say, well, I'm going to start going to church a little bit more. And I'm going to start reading the Bible. and I'm going to start doing this. But here's what I would say. Don't try to do anything to earn it. Just receive it. It's a gift. It is the gift of God. It is by God's grace that we're saved through faith. In Jesus Christ, nothing else. And you might say, well, you know, do I still have to do what the Old Testament teaches? Yeah, I don't know if you guys realize this, but Jesus was a doer of the law, and he was a teacher of the law. And so I would say that if we're going to be a follower of Christ, then we do what Jesus did, we teach what Jesus taught, and we, and we receive what Jesus offers. And so I just want to challenge you today, maybe today, you say, man, I want to be saved. I want Christ to live within me. And I want to follow his teaching and follow his example. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just you and God, just God, what? What is it that you're saying to me today, God? And maybe you're here today and you realize, you know what, man, I need to give my life to Christ. I want to be saved. I want to know that Jesus lives within me. I want to know what it means to be saved. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're a dad. You know, and maybe you realize, man, there's a lot of pressure with being a dad. I can't do it alone. I totally agree with you. You need God working in you, changing you, strengthening you, teaching you, equipping you for all those works that he wants to do in you. If you're here today and you never put your faith in Christ, I want to I give you an opportunity to do that. It's a surrender of the heart. And so I just want to lead you to a simple prayer. But let me just say that it's not the prayer so much of your lips as it is the prayer of your heart. But if you're here today and you never put your faith in Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. If you're a believer, I want to ask you if you would to be praying. Because God always seems to send people here who need to hear the gospel. And so if you're here and you want to receive Christ, it's as simple as this. saying, Jesus, I believe... That you are the Son of God. I believe that you went to the cross and you died for my sin. And Jesus, I believe that you can save me. So Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I put my faith in what you did on the cross. Bleeding out your precious blood to pay for the sins that obviously I have committed. And so Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to save me. And I'm asking you to change me. And I can just tell you his answer is yes. He will. He will forgive you. He will heal you, He will change you, and he will, he, he will literally save your soul. And so if that is your prayer, man, we want to celebrate that with you. 
And we would love to be able to, to help you take the next step. Put a Bible in your hand. Walk with you. Teach you the things that God has taught us. But I also want to pray for the dads in the room today. I know there's many times as dads we feel inadequate, almost overwhelmed by the expectations, maybe even the expectations of our spouse. Maybe you feel like your spouse just puts too much pressure on you. And I would even say to some of you ladies, maybe you need to back off and let God. He doesn't need you. He has the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. So I just want to pray for the dads in the room. Father, I thank you for these men. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that today would be a special day. God, not just because it's Father's Day, but because you are dealing with them and you are speaking to them. And God, I pray that there's a man in this room today that says, I want to learn how to worship God in truth and in spirit in such a way that my boys or my little girls will know that there is a God. God, I pray that you'd use the men in this room to lead their families, to be courageous, to be bold, to be, to be trained and equipped for the works of righteousness. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us to lead our families well and to lead our friends well because of what you're doing in us. In Jesus' name we pray.